Hey everyone, welcome to the Self Agency Advocate Podcast. I'm your host, Amanda, and this is a space where we explore, discover, and share tools, techniques, and wisdom to help you build and maintain a sense of agency. Hey everyone, so today is all about practice, your practice. So getting into really what it looks like to build your own practice, why it's important, what even is a daily or a personal practice, a little bit more about the science or the biology behind habits and routine, a little bit more about what you can include. Like what does it mean to actually bring these things in and what do you choose? What is it that is going to resonate for you? And then how can you take off a little bit of the pressure I think this is a really important part, making your practice actually fun and accessible, something that's meaningful to you, and something that's fluid. This is something that I get asked about all of the time. Like, what's your personal practice? How did you develop it? And how do you keep it up? And it's really important to have that question because we are creatures of habit. I think it's really important to recognize this and What does it mean to actually work with our nature rather than against it? So I want to premise this whole conversation by saying, as always, treat my words like a buffet. So taste everything, try it out, explore what works for you, what you're digging today, and then maybe you leave some things and you go back for seconds for others. Maybe you really like the spinach salad and you go back for that and maybe you leave the rest of it that's totally fine. So being open to this and understanding that this is just my own take on habits and personal practice. So some of this is going to resonate, some of it won't, some of it'll work, and some of it won't, just like anything. And I think that's really the, I guess, beauty and the literal main point of all of this, of this whole episode. Your practice is your own, and your practice really does require you to try new things, to evolve, and allow yourself to shed old things and honor everything that you are in the present moment and let your, pre- your practice reflect that. Because if you think about it, your current routines, the habits that you have right now, your practices are probably very different than they were 10, 5, even one year ago. So... I know for me, I've changed so much. And if my current practices were anything like what I was doing when I was 21, this conversation would be so different and probably not very insightful. So I'm grateful that it's evolved and changed and that I've shed a lot of those old habits because they definitely don't speak to who I am today. So the point is your practice is something that you do for you. It's the thing that calls you back home to yourself. It's the activities, the exercises, it's the experiences that you partake in, that you participate in for the sole purpose of nurturing your body, your mind, your spirit, in whatever way that you're called to. So if we look at my own personal practice and what it means to me, we see in it that it's something I try to make a lifestyle of. It's something that I try to step in and lean into every day. 
So how can I bring mindful presence into everything that I do? Everything from the ritual of making my morning coffee to mindfully grounding myself before I have a hard conversation. That's all a practice. So each day I use breathing techniques, I have some sort of movement practice that my body is calling for, I've got a meditation practice that changes in duration each day, I change the technique. It's it's really taking, and then on top of that, to add to it, part of my practice is also taking the time to process what's come up for me. So that might be journaling, pulling cards, it might be more meditation because I need it. These are the tools that help me live into the constant practice of presence. So letting a practice be exactly that, an evolutionary exploration of what it is that you need in the moment. What keeps you grounded, present, curious, and in touch with yourself? Some will define practice as to use an idea or to actually put it into place. So it also can refer to the act of continually doing something in order to get better at it. So what I hear in all of this is that a practice is an ongoing process. It's something that calls us to step out of ego and into open-minded and open-hearted presence in the name of growth, in the name of humility and self-actualization. So you might hear some people say, I have a yoga practice or I'm going to practice my golf swing. Some people will say, I'm practicing becoming more patient and more tolerant. The key in this is that there's an essence of dedication. There's an acknowledgement there that we are by no means perfect and that we can always strive to improve and to grow. It also shows us that it's a time to be in the flow of something, to be fully connected and dropped into whatever it is that we're practicing. So if we're practicing mindfulness, well, then we have to be fully present in our bodies to be mindfully aware and actually observe what's occurring in the moment. If we're practicing a golf swing, chances are you're either hitting ball after ball, or you're taking swing after swing, you're analyzing, you're focused, you're trying to notice what's working, what's not working, you'll try different things so that you can perfect that swing, you're mindfully aware in that moment, you're fully present, and that's what a practice is, to me at least, that's it. No matter what you choose to work on, to invest time in, to invest energy in, whatever you decide to practice, it all asks you to be present with yourself, to be present with the task at hand, and really to be open to change and progress in whatever direction. Sometimes you might progress in a more positive way, other times it actually starts to decline and you realize that that thing isn't for you anymore. You need to go in a different direction. So some of you may have expected this to be kind of a, like, build your own practice 101. And sorry to disappoint, But I kind of can't do that. I can't really say, here's a step-by-step, here's exactly what it means to build a practice. And I don't believe that anyone can. So I really am cautious of those things that say, do these three steps and you'll be perfect, or you'll master this, or you'll have your perfect personal yoga practice. So what I can offer you 
is, I guess, ways that you can explore building and creating your own practice and being okay with the evolution of it. So when we think of a personal practice, I believe it can be anything. I think it includes things like hitting the driving range, reading a book uninterrupted, cooking with friends or family, going for a massage. I think a practice can quite literally be anything. Because for me, the part that turns it into your own personal practice is when you add that sense of commitment, when you commit to staying present and connected to what you've chosen to do. Are you doing these things because you want to become better at it? Great. Are you doing it because it makes you feel rested and recharged? Perfect. Maybe you're doing these things because you feel maybe more connected to the people that you care about and that you share these practices with. Awesome. Do those things more often because that that's it. That's practicing presence. That's practicing whatever it is that you're doing. And of course, I understand and trust that sometimes it's not possible to stay present. It's not possible to continue a practice or to do it every day. Life happens. Things get in the way. Things don't turn out the way we wanted them to. Things have to shift. Maybe you come back to it. Maybe you don't. So trusting that that's, that is what it is in those ways and capacities. But then there's the other side to a personal practice that I want to spend a little bit more time on. And this is, this is kind of that, the personal practice that we hear so much of. This is your own sacred ritual with yourself. I think this one is so, so important and sometimes neglected because it's usually the one that gets pushed to the back burner when we're feeling overwhelmed or stressed or worried, when we're feeling vulnerable, when like subconsciously we actually don't want to acknowledge the truths that are trying to come up within us. But it's also the one that's the most liberating, the most healing, and for me personally, the most crucial to overall health and well-being. And that doesn't mean that this then has to be something intensive. It doesn't have to be expensive or fancy. It's whatever you have the means, the time, and the energy for. To build your own sacred practice, start by asking yourself what you need in order to feel connected to your truth, connected to your presence, centered, grounded. Maybe for some, it's being out in nature. Or if you don't have access to that, maybe it's sitting at home with your little plant babies and you connect with them. Maybe it's a slow, mindful ritual of making coffee. For some, it's going to be a yoga asana practice or dancing in the living room. It could be CrossFit or working out in some other capacity. For some, it's painting your nails and listening to your favorite music. I would be like a Taylor Swift kind of person for that, I think. But whatever it is, It's something that you do often, and it's something that you can immerse yourself in. It's something where everything external to you can quiet a little bit, can soften out. I'm personally not one for rigidity because I already feel that I have way too much forced structure and external demands that are placed on us as a society, but that's just me. I know so, so many people, both neurodiverse and neurotypical, that absolutely need structure. They need routine. They need these things set in their calendar. That's perfect. Absolutely. 
know what works for you and trust that. So if you need to schedule this time in, great. Once you have this sorted, once you decide if you're more of that fluid or if you need structure, then we can build from there. Maybe it looks like scheduling time throughout your day that works best for you. And if so, block it off as an important meeting, like a meeting with a colleague or a client, something that you would show up powerfully to. Then take that time and be on your own so that you can get into your own whatever it is, or maybe you can spend that time trying to figure out what your practice needs to be. Allow your practice to evolve and be exactly what it's meant to be in that moment. So if it helps drive this home, I'll give you like a little sneak peek into a day in the life of yours truly. And maybe that will help you understand what I mean by a fluid routine. And then you might hear some things in that that work for you, or you might decide, no, I actually need to structure and schedule this. And then you can hear that as well. So each day, no matter what, I leave my phone on airplane until I've finished my kind of morning routine and I'm ready to face the world. So it's not a structured time or a set routine, but it usually includes, well, no, it like definitely includes making a cup of coffee. And I connect with each step. So like right down to watching the spoon stir up that frothy nectar of life. And I fully connect with it. I smell it. I see it. I taste it. I'll sit with that. And then I sit and read a book. I might watch the sunrise. I might just kind of look out the window and see what's going on in the world. Whatever I'm called to in that moment. I might be pulling cards or journaling. I might do some yoga asana or other movement. I try to give myself around that 45-ish minute mark. Sometimes it's a little bit longer. Sometimes it's shorter. And then I get into work mode and I let my day happen. So that might look like checking emails and doing admin, might be doing my schoolwork. Whatever work-related stuff I have on the docket, that's kind of that chunk of the day there. At some point throughout my day, I make sure that I break it up. So I might go for a walk, a run, do a workout. I might meditate if I didn't in the morning. I might go to the park and read a book or sit outside and read a book. It all depends how I'm feeling, but I need to take that break throughout my day. Then I'll continue on and finish up my work or my school stuff. And then finally, I'll make dinner for my partner and I. And that's that point, that practice, the dinner making is the point where I close off my day. So for me, that practice is stepping out of the busy day stuff and bookmarking that so I can step into and transition into more of that night mode. So I'll try and make notes for what I need to do the next day because I want to make sure that my head is clear and that I can be more present at night. So I'll finish off any tasks that I need to do and then we'll sit down for dinner together. Some days I do have to work after dinner and I need to let that be okay because some days it calls for it and it's a must. So within that, if I do, I do. If I don't, I let the night unfold as it needs to. And we'll spend some time together or whatever that looks like. And then I have my getting ready for bed. That's the turning off the phone to airplane mode at least an hour before sleep. It's the drinking tea and calming the mind. Again, might be reading a book. If you couldn't tell, I love books. And if I'm not doing this, I'm typically reading a book. That's my sacred practice. 
I love reading. And if I haven't done much movement during the day, I might do a mindful flow or a more yin-like practice to help shut the mind, quiet that space, and transition into sleepy time. So while yes, I have this like basic outline of my practice, I do allow space for fluidity and I do try to let things organically unfold because for me, I would always kind of be wondering what am I missing out on or what am I saying no to by only saying yes to my structured routine. So like what possibilities am I missing out on by saying, oh, I really feel like I want to dance right now, but I actually have to reply to these emails. Like why can't I have a little boogie and then go reply to emails later. So for me, that's the kind of fluidity that I need. But I'm still staying true true to my practice because for me, the practice is about honoring myself moment to moment. So I also want to acknowledge that I have the privilege of working from home. I rarely have other people around during the week. So I honor that luxury and I know that not everyone has that. So with that said, if you are somebody who has multiple jobs or you work outside of the home or you have a really busy home, if you work in an office for long hours, like I hear you, I have been there, absolutely. And I had to change and shift my practice to reflect that. So you might actually be someone who needs to literally schedule in your time and block it out in your calendar. You might be somebody who just has to take advantage of the pockets of time that pop up throughout your day. Like you might meditate for a couple minutes on your break by closing your eyes and taking a few long, slow rounds of breath. Tip or trick of the trade, if you put your headphones in and close your eyes, nobody's gonna think it's weird and that you're meditating. They're just gonna think you're listening to music. So win-win. Because remember, meditation doesn't need to be you sitting in lotus, with your hands in mudra and burning incense. No, meditation is that time that you carve out to tune out the external world and tune in and become curious about your internal world. So take that time, let it be whatever it looks like for you. Your practice could be closing your office door and doing a few sun salutations or maybe a few rounds of your favorite breath work. It might be just listening to a playlist that you really like with no distractions. Whatever it is that allows you to disconnect from external and tune into internal, that's practice. That's what helps you stay present and stay your true authentic self. So whatever it is, make it sacred and really make it your own. I know one person who quite literally has the busiest schedule I've ever seen. Like it stresses me out even just thinking about her schedule. I don't know how they do it, but her one sacred practice that she quite literally will never ever go without is she'll sit in her car when she gets home from work and like blast the music to the point where she can't hear anything. She's all consumed. And she says, like, some days she'll dance and she'll sing and she'll just try and, like, shake off the day. Some days there's tears or big emotions that she has to feel and let out. Others, she's perfectly still and just lets the experience wash over her. She'll typically stay there for, like, one or two songs and then sit in quiet for a few rounds of breath. 
and then she goes into the house to take on her evening. So that's her moment. That's her practice of how can I transition and close out my day so that I can show up powerfully and presently in my night or my evening. So, I mean, it can literally be anything. There is no right or wrong to this. So if we look a little bit more at the science or the biology behind habit forming, this can be ways that you can look at it and start making those healthier choices by turning them into practices. Maybe it's to help replace habits or practices that aren't necessarily beneficial for you. So actually, before I get too far, one really great person to check out if it calls to you is James Clear. So he wrote a book called Atomic Habits, and it's all about habit forming and replacing, and that's essentially his life's work. So he's dedicated himself to figuring out how to help people build and replace habits, to make healthier ones, to get rid of ones that aren't working. So that might be somewhere that you check out if you want a more in-depth look at some of the different tips and tricks that are out there. So with that said, it's really important to note that on a psychological level, there's a pattern that occurs with habits. It's called a habit loop, and there's three parts to it. So the first part is the moment that your brain is triggered to kind of go into an autopilot mode. The second part then is the actual behavior itself. And then we have the reward part that comes after. And that's something that the brain likes or makes it feel like it's accomplished or achieved something. The reward is what helps the brain remember the habit loop for the future because it'll start to associate the reward with the habit you've performed. So the best way to kind of understand this might be to think about the habits that you have and don't even realize. So think about the last time you got in your car to go to work and then you got there and like don't even remember how you got there. You're like, how did I, did I drive here? Did I turn left, straight, what happened? That's the moment that you dropped into that autopilot. So as you were doing your morning routine, the brain was like, oh, yep, we're getting ready to go to work. It's dropping into its default mode network or DMN that default mode network took over and because it's essentially trying to help your brain conserve energy and power, it chunks a series of movements together. So this is literally called chunking and it chunks all these things together so that it can be performed unconsciously. Then the brain and body can focus on other things that it has going on behind the scenes. So now there might not seem like there's any reward at the to the other end of driving to work, but you got there, you know that you have to get there. So the brain did actually achieve something, it achieved getting to work, but it's really important that we think about this reward pattern or this cycle, this habit loop, when we think about trying to develop new habits or replacing old ones. So if you find it really difficult to stick to a practice, be it yoga, meditation, walking, whatever, it might be helpful for you to actually find the reward and then work backwards. So say you really, really love drinking coffee each morning. Why not make a commitment to yourself then that before you take a sip of coffee, you'll meditate for one minute. So the reward becomes the coffee, the behavior comes the meditation. 
So one minute is the equivalent of six rounds of breath. Inhale for a count of four, pause for one. Exhale for a count of four, pause for one. Do that six times, you've got a minute. So if you can take six rounds of breath before you take a sip of coffee, you've started that, that kind of feedback loop in your body, that habit loop. So then the brain starts to associate, oh, if I can do this meditation, I get to drink that delicious coffee. And then you start to build in meditation to your morning habit. Maybe over time you actually start to build it up to two minutes, maybe it then becomes five minutes, because you want that association to kick in. You want it to become instinctual and automatic. Same thing goes if you maybe are trying to get into, say, a yoga practice. But when you get home from work, you'd actually rather shut your brain off and just watch Netflix. Commit to yourself that you'll do three sun salutations before you turn Netflix on. So if I do three sun salutations, I then get to watch Netflix. You might then actually build that up over time and do four and then five and then six, whatever works for you. But the cool thing that I have found is that you might actually start to notice that the practice you're engaging in starts to give you an even better reward than Netflix or than drinking coffee or doing these other reward-based things that you've been doing in the past because these types of practices, so say yoga, mindfulness, meditation, they actually change the chemistry in your brain. So they actually benefit your nervous system way more than these other habits do. So yoga, mindfulness, and meditation have been proven to increase a neurotransmitter called GABA, which promotes relaxation. So it actually inhibits the firing of your neurons in your brain, so the quick, rapid fire that we're always kind of in. GABA says, whoa, slow down, pal. Turns down those quick fire neural connections and helps you drop into that more parasympathetic nervous system. That's your rest and digest state. So it slows you down and drops you into rest. Also helps to balance serotonin and dopamine levels. So these are just like a few physiological benefits to those three practices. So I started to notice over time, like, wow, I just feel so good after doing X, Y, Z. I don't even need that thing that I thought I needed. So if I thought I needed Netflix to turn my brain off, actually meditation does that so much quicker and feels so much healthier in my body. So that shifted and changed what my practice looks like. So notice the days where you do actually start to crave staying in your movement practice or staying in meditation longer. Celebrate the days where you forget to turn Netflix on. Like Celebrate that because it's amazing when you're like, oh, I was doing this so I could get a reward, but I actually already got the reward. And then you might actually start to ask yourself, where can I bring this practice more into my life? It could be journaling, it could be drinking a cup of tea, like whatever it is, but how can you incorporate that more? Your practice not only needs to be authentic to you, it really needs to fill your cup because you want it to be something that's accessible but you also really want it to be sustainable. You want it to be something that you enjoy coming back to. So when I finished my first yoga teacher training, I was under the impression that I had to like meditate for two hours every morning and then do an hour asana practice and I had to neti pot and 
scrape my tongue and all of these other cleansing rituals because that's what we were told made a good yogi. And I'm sorry, but that doesn't work for me at all. I know that I couldn't keep that up. But more importantly, I know that I don't actually want to do those things for that length of time. At least not at this point in my life. Maybe one day, if that's where my path takes me, maybe I'll, I'll develop this three-hour morning practice. Great. But as of right now, I'm really, really happy with what I have going on. So I want it to be something that really speaks to my lifestyle. It speaks to my ambitions. It speaks to the commitments that I've made to myself and for no one else. And I say that for no one else part because it's that's so important. So if I think about it, if I had taken on that strict regimen that the yoga masters at the ashram in India had given us, I would have been doing it for them. I would have been doing it to prove to others that I'm a good yogi. But my practice is my own and it's for me. And this way, when either I do or I don't do my practice, I only have myself to answer to. And I personally find it a lot more difficult to stomach the idea of letting myself down than what others think of me. So for me, I have to make that commitment to myself because that's what it comes down to. So like within that, just because I'm a yoga teacher, it actually doesn't mean that every single day I include physical yoga asana. Because to me, when I look at yoga and the philosophy of it, the sutras, the yamas, the niyamas, the eight limbs, like the actual essence and lifestyle that is yoga, it's so far beyond that. Asana is actually just to prepare your body to sit in meditation. It's like 1% of what yoga truly is. So for me, I know that I'm living into the essence and the lifestyle of yoga, the philosophy of it, by honoring my body, honoring my mind and spirit, moment to moment. So that's where I come at it from. So then if you're thinking about it and you're wondering, okay, well, what do I include? What does this actually mean? How do I build a practice? Great question. And I'm hoping that what you're hearing in this is that it's, again, totally up to you. But what if you started by including things that really speak to your soul? The things that challenge you, but also the things that elevate you, the things that feed you and nourish you. What are the things that make you tune back into your sense of aliveness? What welcomes you back home to yourself and into your body? Could you include things that ask you to be present and mindfully aware of yourself? To be so deep into your present moment that everything else can simply occur around you. Maybe for you it's something that creates space for you to actually feel. Feel your body, feel your thoughts, your emotions, feel nature, feel the people around you that you care about. How is it that you can drop into your senses and really experience the thing that you're doing? For some, this is by simply doing nothing. Meditating, being present, being mindful, doing nothing in that space, resting. It could be yoga, dance, hiking, could be cuddling, whether it be a person or an animal, 
tea with friends or family, quite literally anything. And the duration of time is also up to you. And within that, I do want to also acknowledge that for those of you, self-included, have experienced trauma, it might feel unsafe and really overwhelming to be in your body. So I hear that. I've absolutely been there and I hear that. So please don't feel like your practice has to be something that takes you into your body if that's unsafe. Absolutely not. Please trust that you're doing what you need to do for yourself. And your practice might look different. It should look different. It needs to respect you and where you're at. So for some, it might be something like something that takes you into more focus and actually takes you out of your body. So for some, it's like doing a puzzle or knitting or maybe like Sudoku or cooking a meal where you're so focused on the food and the ingredients or something else completely. Trust that there is no right or wrong at all whatsoever. Your practice is your own. So my hope within all of this is that you've heard, and I've reiterated enough times, that you are allowed to do and to be whoever and however you want in every moment that you have with yourself. So I hope this takes some of the pressure off and you can really trust that you actually don't have to be this perfect, high-functioning, got-it-all-under-control, and structured human being. Let your practice be an exploration. Let curiosity guide you. And do what you can to let it be accessible, meaningful. Let it be fluid. There's also within all of this an element and essence, I guess, of really building trust with yourself. Can you trust yourself to know when your practice is working? Can you trust yourself to know when changes need to be made? But maybe it's also trusting yourself enough to reach out to others and ask for guidance and support while you find your own practice. Trust that it's okay if it changes day to day. I know mine does. Because guess what? We are seasonal creatures and we flow and run to our own rhythm, each as an individual. Allow your practice to reflect that. Your summer practice might look completely different to your winter practice because on a seasonal, elemental, natural space, we are asked to be different. We go more into that slow, inward, hibernation state in winter, we move slower to conserve energy. That's biological and a wiring within our beings. Whereas in summer, we have more energy and more time because days are longer. So like everything shifts and changes and that's perfect. So allow your practice to reflect that. And one of the, uh, one of the five yamas or the ethical codes in yoga or the Yoga Sutras, is a parigraha. And this is the yama or the part of the sutras that I try to lean into the most. I'm working on this all of the time. You could say that it's a core practice for me. And a parigraha is non-attachment or non-greediness. For me, this is the cornerstone of any practice. Non-attachment to an outcome not attaching to it having to be a certain way, not 
being greedy and wanting it to always stay the same and always be this beneficial, beautiful experience. Some days it's going to be hard. Some days it's going to be challenging. So it's asking us to detach from expectation, both the internal and the external ones that are placed upon us. For me, a partigraha is about softening into a space of trust. Trust that your practice is showing up in all of the ways that it's meant to. Some days it's going to be more challenging than others. Some days it's going to have more to teach you than others. Some days you avoid it completely. And that's okay. I think it's also a reminder in this age of instant gratification that progress, growth, healing, transformation, it doesn't happen overnight. It's not instant, unfortunately. Fortunately, the best version of you is the culmination of all of the little moments along the way that got you to exactly where you are or have opened your eyes to where you want to go and what you're progressing towards. It's only in the looking back that we can actually see the progress that we've made. So if your practice feels clunky or disjointed right now, if it feels like you're not making any progress at all, maybe take a moment and look back. Look back on yourself and notice how far you've actually come. Celebrate the parts of your changing practice that have built your sense of resilience or celebrate the things that have led you to the realization that you want to and are ready to make changes. It's all part of it. I think this is where that celebration and reward is so crucial. So for me, when I think about non-attachment or a partigraha being part of my practice, I need to celebrate and acknowledge the times where I let something go that I typically would have held on to. I need to notice that I've done the thing and then like obviously let go of the celebration because non-attachment and then step into the next present moment. So maybe after this episode, you take some time to reflect on the things that really make you feel the best, the most alive the most connected, the most clear, and see where in your schedule you can actually start to create more pockets of time to incorporate these practices into each day or each week. On the flip side of that, you might actually reflect on the practices that really aren't serving or supporting you right now. What can you replace those habits with? You might find it useful to share these with someone else, someone that you trust and someone that can hold you accountable and ask them to check in with you. Check in to make sure that you're sticking to the practices you've said that you wanna bring in and that you're replacing the old ones. You might also choose to journal what effects these changes are having on you. And you might actually use that as kind of like a little bookmark so that one day in the future you can look back to that and reflect on the success and progress that you've made. Whatever you do, I really hope that today you find a little bit more space for the things that matter to you. I hope that you can build a practice that is evolving and a practice that is as powerful as you are. And I want to thank you so, so much for being here. And if you've enjoyed today's conversation, or I guess reflection, I would be beyond grateful for any comments, reviews, likes, subscribes, like whatever else it is that you do 
that lets me know you're finding these useful or inspiring. Share this with somebody that you feel might enjoy what we've talked about today. Help me spread the love and spread the message of personal exploration. And I just absolutely love it. If there's a topic or an area that you want to explore, please, please let me know. I'm always looking for new ideas. And again, thank you so, so much. And I hope that your practice unfolds exactly as it's meant to for you today. so much for listening and if there's anything anything at all that you want to explore or you have ideas about and want to get into please please drop me a line you can find us at the self-agency advocate on both facebook and instagram and i would absolutely love to chat so let's connect Mm